I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, good morning, church, and happy Mother's Day. Although we are still unable to gather in person, it is a privilege to be part of your family worship time at home. And how fitting is it that our study of the virgin birth just so happens to fall on Mother's Day? I love that. There's probably no text that bears greater significance on this doctrinal statement of belief than the text of Luke 1, 26-38, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and foretells of Jesus' birth. Something we often dismiss in studying this text, though, is that although it was the ideal time for the Son of God, the co-creator, to appear to his creation, for Mary, it was probably the most least ideal time to be told that she would become pregnant and bear the Son of God as her own. And that's a major theme in this story, God's plan amidst our own, our faith in God's plan despite our own. And as we walk through this text together, it's my hope and prayer that this fundamental idea grabs a hold of you this morning, and that is simply this, that God's grace is designed to meet our present faith. Again, the main idea of our passage this morning is that God's grace is designed to meet our present faith. And as we walk through Luke's narrative, we're going to see that there are three primary reminders that naturally present themselves to us in the text. The first of those being a reminder of God's promise of grace. Remember that up till now, the Jewish people had heard nothing of major significance for nearly 500 years. 500 years of no prophets, no word from the Lord, nothing affirming them as God's people 
But an angel, the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah and then Mary, a glimmer of hope returns. Think of an EKG machine just dully flatlining for 500 years until one day there's a spike on the screen. And then another, and then another. Well, this spike in the grand story of Scripture, if you will, is the benchmark of God's plan for His people. Everything has led to this moment. Recall the Proto-Evangelion. That is the first gospel presented to us in Genesis 3.15. In response to Adam and Eve's sin, he says to them and the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God creates, humanity disobeys, and in response, he sets in motion a plan to redeem his people, a plan that reverberates and echoes all throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Concerning the virgin birth of Mary specifically, he says through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Now, if the Old Testament is a record of promises made, then we can regard the New Testament of a record of promises kept. And in this story, in the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary, this is a record of a promise kept, a promise kept for God to redeem his people, a promise of grace. And not only do we see this promise of grace amidst the larger story of Scripture, but we even see it here given specifically to Mary. Verses 26 and 27 alone tell us so much about who Mary is. We know that she's from a small city in Galilee named Nazareth, a city of really no significance. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples were later asked this famous question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's in God's word. So it's a place of no significance. We also know that she is a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. In this time, girls were most commonly engaged when they became of age. So she's a virgin, she's engaged, and she's from Nazareth. However, In greeting her, the angel Gabriel addresses her as, O favored one. He calls her, O favored one. That really does beg the question, doesn't it? What is so special about Mary? It's interesting that the phrasing of Gabriel's greeting to Mary is actually only used one other time in the entire New Testament. When Paul is writing his letter to the church of Ephesus, he intentionally uses this phrasing. And in verse 6, he says, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The phrasing is unique in that it recognizes Mary in Luke's narrative and us in Paul's letter as the sole recipients of God's grace. So let me ask you this question again. What is so special about Mary? Okay, the answer? Absolutely Nothing. I know that sounds harsh, but we have to understand that the same God that bestows upon us the title of adopted sons and daughters of the King is the same God that chose Mary to birth Jesus. The same God that presents this promise of grace to Adam and Eve in the garden is the same sovereign God and King that presents that promise of grace to me and you. It is His promise, it is His grace, and therefore it is His and His alone to freely give. From the offset of this story, We are reminded that when we are faithless, God is faithful. And I think that's important for you this morning. We live in a very interesting time right now, do we not? I mean, there's really nothing that you can wake up and be absolutely sure of. Your health, your job, your family, your careers, whatever the case may be, everything around you is shifting stand. But what an incredible wave of peace it is to know 
that at the end of the day, one thing absolutely stands firm, and that is God's promise of grace in my life and yours. Concerning this, the author of Hebrews states in chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. It's the idea that there is nothing we can bring to the table before a holy and just God. Therefore, let us merely bask in the glory of his presence and his promise of grace in our life. Now, Mary's initial response is that of fear, as it would be for any of us, right? However, she eventually works up the courage to ask the million-dollar question, how? How? How will I, a virgin, conceive and bear the Son of the Most High God as my own? And the answer that follows from Gabriel is the reminder of God's design of divinity. The reminder of God's design of divinity. Read verse 35 with me again. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Take a moment and savor the glory of the Trinity at work. All throughout Scripture, we're given brief glimpses of the harmonious nature of the Trinity. And here we see it on full display in the incarnation of Christ. It's what Jesus himself is quoted for saying by the author of Hebrews in 10.5 when he says, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. By the power of the Holy Spirit and God the Father, a body is prepared for God the Son. Through the angel Gabriel, God reveals two of the greatest mysteries in the entire universe, the incarnation of Christ and the Trinity. Now, to understand what is taking place here, we must first consider, consider what this verse is not. First off, this verse is not exhaustive. It's not purpose to answer how, but who. We must accept up front that the how of God's design is far beyond our finite understanding. It goes beyond what we may term the laws of the universe. God creating the known and unknown universe, that is beyond our finite understanding. The virgin birth is equally beyond our finite understanding. His resurrection and ascension, which we will talk about later in this series, also beyond our finite understanding. Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, is equally beyond our finite understanding, and we need to be able to accept that when we read this passage. Any effort to conform God to our philosophy of reason, knowledge, and justice merely creates a God in and of ourselves. That is why he is God and we are not. That is why he is our God. That is why we praise him as Father. All these things that we've talked about in the Apostles' Creed, this is why we recognize him as God Almighty. And understanding what this passage is not, we must also consider that it isn't who Mary is, but who Christ is. This is a major stumbling block for our friends of the Roman Catholic faith who hold to beliefs such as the Immaculate Conception, the idea that at Mary's conception, she was free from sin. It also makes much of Mary in the belief of the assumption of Mary, the idea that at the end of her earthly life, her body and soul were assumed into heaven. These beliefs make much of the wrong person in this story. Same can be said for these outlandish beliefs and, and ideas that somehow God had relations with Mary. These are views that need to be denied and corrected at every turn. They're perversions of God's word. And not only that, but they're focused on the wrong person. This isn't the story of Mary. It's the story of Christ. 
We don't want to accept it, but we have to realize that Mary was a great sinner in desperate need of an amazing Savior. I know that's hard to believe, but we see her throughout Jesus' earthly ministry doubting him as the Christ. However, at his resurrection and ascension, she is there glorifying him as the risen Savior. This is not the story of Mary. It's the story of Christ. It's not about the how, but the who. And there are things that we absolutely need to register when it comes to who Christ is in this passage. First off, Christ is holy. Again, verse 35, therefore the child to be born will be called holy. The therefore indicates that Christ's holiness is a product of being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Scripture teaches us that to be holy means to be set apart. Well, Christ's holiness is a unique identifier of his righteousness. So he's 100% divine, but in addition to being 100% divine, he's 100% human. Mary is his mother. Joseph would go on to be his paternal father. He would grow like we do, look like we do, act like we do, eat like we do, everything in between. He is, however, the son of God. And his sinlessness marks him the only acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. Let me say that if you are listening to this this morning or at any time and you don't know who Jesus is, let it be known that he knows you. He knows you and he cares for you so much that before the foundation of the world, he set in motion a plan to redeem you, to call you his. His promise of grace is for you. His unique design of divinity is purposed for you. And may we all take this in to this morning that his plan for you is perfect. His plan is perfect. Take a quick moment to recall Mary's response to Gabriel in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? Note that Mary doesn't ask, can you do it? But how will you do it? There's not a question as to who the Father Almighty is in this story. It's a question of, God, I'm involved in this plan. How will I be involved in this plan? Realize that next to being called the favored one of God and receiving this quick biology lesson in divinity, Mary's given no assurances for what her future looks like other than knowing that it is according to God's plan for her and his people. And I want you to think about that for a moment. What does it mean to actively participate in God's plan? His promise of grace that is solely dependent upon him. His unique design of divinity is equally solely dependent upon him. So could actively participating in God's plan be as simple as submitting to it in full dependence? Now, when you hear that, your response should naturally be, well, Ryan, there's nothing really simple about that. Very, very true. But what, again, is the alternative The only guarantee you have around you is that nothing is guaranteed at all. The only guarantee that we have is God's promise of grace for our lives, and we recognize this in his plan for us. By the example of Mary, there are three things we need to recognize about God's plan for our lives. First off, God's plan is proven. The entirety of Scripture is a testament to God's power in the life of his people. From creating the universe to Mary's conception, God has a plan that time and time again displays evidence of an invisible God visibly displaying his steadfastness. Not only do we see that his plan is proven in Scripture, but we see that his plan is proven in our own lives, do we not? 
Our present faith is built upon past experiences, experiences of God displaying His faithfulness to us. I think of my own experience of moving here from Tallahassee. Now, I'm not going to get in all the details of that right now for time's sake, but it's important to note that my wife, Winnie, and I are here solely by the divine grace of God, and that is the experience that he uses time and time again to remind me that his plan is proven even in my own life. Secondly, God's plan is everlasting. Not only does it define our past and present, but it's already defined our future. Recall the closing line of Gabriel's response to Mary. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, full transparency, over the past few weeks, I have struggled over this one phrase in the passage simply because I'm asking myself whether it applies solely to what the angel Gabriel is defining of Mary's newfound circumstance or whether it's a larger, more general statement of nothing will be impossible with God. And the only reason why I believe we need to regard it as the latter is because it's riding on the coattails of Gabriel describing Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who is, although also pregnant, it's under completely different circumstances. So it seems more appropriate and safe to assume that this is the more general statement by the messenger of God that nothing will be impossible with God. Now, let's just go ahead and say right now, That doesn't mean God's going to give you what you want. That's not what's being talked about here. Any song, any thought that we can try to to put to what is happening here in Luke 1, that is not what the purpose of this text is. We don't want to find out our youth are riding this on their wrist before uh, sporting events, okay? But what it is communicating is that God's plan will not be hindered. He is in the business of displaying strength in our weakness. And if we are to ground our hope in anything... Let it be in the everlasting hope of God's plan. Third, God's plan is better than our own. How simple is that? God's plan is better than any plan that I can try to form for my life. His plan is better than any form you could try to form for your life. It's said by one that he laughs at the plans that we make. His plans are better than our own. I want you to notice Mary's closing statement to Gabriel in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She refers to herself as a servant again later in her song of praise to God, known as the Magnificat. She says again, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Here we see Mary's delight is simply in the favor she's found before the Lord. It's the favor that she's found before the Lord. It isn't found as an addition to what she terms her humble estate, but it's found in absolute abandonment of it. I can't help but think that the remainder of Mary's life was somewhat difficult. Following this, she would have to hope and pray that her relationship with Joseph stayed intact. She would go on to be an outcast, a shut-in for the entirety of her pregnancy. She would give birth in a stable We know that as Jesus grew older, it never became easier for Mary. I know of one instance when Jesus, at around 12 years old, goes missing in the temple. He says it's based on the authority that God has bestowed upon him, not the authority Mary has as his mother. Happy Mother's Day. I can't imagine receiving that kind of response from my child. But we know even as he grows older again, that she will see her son both loved and hated by society to the point that she would see her son hanging on a cross. No, I can't imagine there's anything glamorous about submitting to God's plan, but it entails a promise of joy that far, far outweighs any of the empty promises this world has to offer. 
One theologian adds, he says, He cannot be our Lord if we insist on ruling ourselves. If He is Lord, then we are servants, glad servants of God. This is how faith replies to grace. When God promises you a Savior, say, let me have Him. When God announces His plan for your life, say, Amen, let it be so. Not my will, but your will be done, Lord. We all place our faith in something. Whether it's parents, the stock market, children, sports, whatever the case may be. But God is calling you to a place where you submit to His plan for your life. He's calling you to submit to His plan for your life. His grace is designed to meet our present faith where we are now. And we submit to ourselves to His plans over our own. May we be not be consumed by the status of our humble estate, but in absolute abandonment of it, run in a full sprint with the favor we found with God, knowing we can proclaim, Amen, let it be so, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we praise you this morning. Lord, we praise you, Lord, for this unique design of divinity that is solely dependent upon you, God, that you have you put in place, Lord, to redeem us as your people. This promise of grace that we see not only in the life of Mary, but in us, Lord, today, that you use time and time again to strengthen our faith, God. I pray that that rings true for us this morning. I pray that we recognize how grounded and how firm our faith is amidst this pandemic, that we turn to you, in full assurance, knowing, God, that your plan is better for us than our own. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this, your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, information, and opportunities to connect with us at the King's Church, please visit our website, kingschurchlkld.com.